Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams. And Elizabeth Wallace. And you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 170. And tonight, we are doing something that hardly ever happens. We are talking about a movie that is still in the theaters. Oh, my God. And it's uh, as time of this recording, it's only been in the theaters for like a week and a half. So this is kind of unprecedented. We would like all the pats on the backs right now. We both saw Captain Marvel. And it was really fun. Oh, short form. It was really fun. Yes, yeah. I loved every bit of it. I loved the whole 90s-ness of it. I loved how beautiful it was. I mean, that was a damn pretty movie. Oh, yeah, and all the effects were great. Every time she was doing the glowing fist thing, and then um, obviously, spoilers, all the spoilers for this podcast. So if you haven't seen Captain Marvel, you really should go see Captain Marvel. But yeah, all the times when she was like doing the inner space battles and everything, and all the glowiness and everything, it was so, so pretty. And it's... Started out, they did a special version of the whole Marvel intro thing that usually has the, you know, the comic book pages flipping past and then scenes from the other movies. It was all scenes of Stanley's cameos from the movies. Oh. And I leaned over to Nathan and I said, It's too early in the movie for me to be getting choked up here. Oh, God. And if that wasn't enough, when she was on the train and there's somebody who's reading aloud from a script and she pulls it down and it's Stan Lee and she gives him this little smile and I'm like, I'm getting choked up just talking about it. I it was know. really and I wonder, I mean, did they have like her reaction? Was that filmed after he passed away, or had they already filmed that whole cameo? Because it just was so perfect. Oh, it was. Did you read in the trivia? how they actually had to get a different version of his voice. When they filmed that cameo, his health was so bad that his voice wasn't really very strong. So they got some outtakes from the Mall Rats movie, and that's what he was saying then, and that's what they used for the recording. I just saw that. I mean, would that have been... Would Ball Rats have been like one of the first cameo appearances he made? I, I haven't looked up to see all his cameo appearances in movies. I probably was. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, my God. <laughs> the IMDb trivia, which you know we love us some IMDb trivia, but I was starting to look through the goofs section, and they're pointing out all the anachronisms because apparently the movie is supposed to be, well, some people are saying 93 because of a calendar they saw, but there's a bunch of other comments about 95, and they're all pointing about this song didn't come out to this date, and this movie didn't happen here, and this car wasn't available here. I'm like, oh my God, you guys. I mean, I have never wanted so much to just shout, nerds! But, you know, <laughs> and of course, it's got to come from a place of love when people do that yes. to go through, that they loved the movie, so they're going to spend this much time on it, and they loved the 90s. And of course, we have to talk about how adorable that cat was. <laughs> so adorable. But now, I do have an issue. All right, so Nick Fury lost his eye to the cat. Mm -hmm. Have mm -hmm. you heard anybody getting upset about that? Because it does seem kind of silly. Yeah, and there was there was a lot about Samuel Jackson's parts that was like a little goofy that I didn't really need. Like when he's singing the, the Marvelettes song to her, and I'm like, this scene feels like it's going on a little long. I don't know, but... Um, yeah, no. And I got to say, as a cat owner, if a cat took out my eye, I would not keep the cat. <laughs> I would not punish the cat because the cat had saved my life, but I'm somebody else would keep the cat. Yeah, and I do love that little 
<laughs> that little addition to Nick Fury's character that he was a cat person, that he was like oh such a cat person. But and I also think it is kind of appropriate. I mean, you just saw this cat turn into an alien monster and eat many, many people, and you are still doing the annoying baby talk in its face. Yeah, you're gonna get swiped. But I just yeah. I wasn't quite sure how much I liked the idea of Nick Fury losing his eye to the cat, but yeah, yeah. that was I mean and of course, the whole baby talk thing. You remember Houdini, our uh, uh, Siamese yes. mixed cat? Yeah, we yes, actually yes. had the wife of a friend, and we did not much care for the wife um, who came to visit us at our apartment and she saw Houdini and she started baby talking to him. He chased her across the room swinging and hissing. Oh. Cats, oh. a lot of times, don't go for baby talk and I'm sure giant alien cats also don't like it. No, no, I don't think I don't think he cared for that at all. Totally understandable, but <laughs> I hear that a lot of the times, because there were a lot of times when you saw CGI and I was assuming that it was CGI because it's hard to get a cat to do exactly what you want, even though this cat it's actually four different actors played this cat and <laughs> i have heard them described as very professional but it's still hard to get a cat to do what you want and look in the direction you want it to look and so sometimes when they were holding the cat it was obviously a cgi cat apparently brie larson is terribly allergic to cats and that's when they cgi'd a lot of stuff i'm like mm, that's understandable yeah that's fair because you can't yeah. really deliver your lines if you're like itching uncontrollably or you can't breathe pretty much yeah but i i did like the character of goose that was very fun um, I loved the line towards the end. I mean, I could see it coming a mile away when um, Jude Law's character is like, this is the moment when you prove the blah, blah, blah. And she blasts him in the face and says, you know, I don't have to prove anything to you. And I'm like, that was telegraphed pretty far ahead of time, but I still liked I it. I still liked it, yes. And Nathan and I, we talked about this after we saw the movie. We both saw Jude, his character was going to be the bad guy. But we both thought that he was going to be like a scroll imposter or a spy or like used to yes. be a friend of hers and then ended up getting, you know, taken over by somebody. The idea of the Cree being the bad guys the entire time and him lying to her basically from the moment that he met her did not see that bit coming. Nope, not at all. And it's not that's not really technically canon, I guess. I mean, according to IMDb, because let's just face it, the Cree and the scrolls uh, started out, I believe, as a fantastic for creatures. Uh, I never really read a lot of stories that involved them, but it does say that the Kree apparently were the ones who started the war. But I think in the Marvel Universe, the Skrulls are definitely pretty typical bad guys. You I know? Was, That's what they do. I was talking with Nathan about that. I think, like, you know, in old movies where you have, if you have to have a standard bad guy, it's going to be a Nazi. In, yeah. in the Marvel Universe, if you needed a standard bad guy, a lot of times it was the Skrulls. Right, right. But I did remember hearing that the Kree weren't completely blameless. So I knew already going into it that the Kree weren't somebody that you automatically trust. But the fact that they were the out and out, like flat out bad guys. So I guess it was probably a comment on, I don't know, the fear of the other that seems to be going on in this country right now and just wanting to get rid of the people at our borders that we think are dangerous when really they're really not dangerous, you know? And it's just, that was probably a not very subtle message there. Yeah, that, and it's I, it reminded me of James Roberts's uh, work on the Transformers and the idea that 
you have this whole idea of history that everybody knows, the good guys and the bad guys. But then you start going more and more and more into history, and you see that history is made up of all of these flawed people who maybe might not have had the best motivations. So what you thought was the good guy might not have actually been the good guy the entire time. Because real life is complicated. And that moment when they appear in the space station that had been cloaked and everything, and you see the people come out and she runs at him and that's the moment when you realize that they aren't the bad guys and I'm like oh it was really (laughs) it was very neat I was very surprised well and it made me think because of course you know they actually like you were sort of threatening Maria's child there to get everybody to calm Mm -hmm. down and not attack and I thought oh maybe they're not the bad and then I thought and like Boy, um, Carol killed a lot of scrolls when she was yes, trying she to break did. free of the ship. So, yeah. and that was, I think that was what she was alluding to when she met all the people there and she said, I'm so sorry. And the scroll yeah. leader said something like, it's war, you know, I'm steeped in it as well. Yeah, exactly. And oh my God, when she was captured and she had those things on her hands, how badass was that whole fight scene? I loved that. And I loved her reaction whenever she managed to like shake somebody off or finally get those things off she clapped her hands together yes in fact i adored how confident brie larson's character was through the whole movie because you and i we hate awkward scenes we've never been much for this idea of like the alien like you know pretending to be human but not really knowing how to do it and it's all awkward no she was just like yeah i'm with space force and i gotta go over here so (laughs) yeah yeah and then like when she's telling uh nick fury what's going on and he's like what and she's like oh god you guys have no idea so it was so much better than just like wandering around and not oh what is this money thing like she goes into the bar and i'm like oh god she's gonna try and get something they're gonna ask her for money she doesn't have any and then nick fury shows up i'm like oh good awkwardness avoided that's awesome (laughs) And the conversation that she has with him about trying to determine that he's not a scroll because you have to get, you know, history, you have to have something that the scroll wouldn't be able to duplicate, but asking him for something that was so bizarre that a scroll wouldn't think of it. And he said, if toast is cut diagonal, I can't eat it. Pause. You didn't actually need that bit. No, but I enjoyed hearing it. That was so neat. And then he asked her to prove that she's not a scroll, and she blasts something. And exactly what we would say. It's like, well, how does that prove it? Because scrolls can't do that. Well, how would I know that? <laughs> Come on, you know? Oh, my God. The de-aging stuff on Nick Fury and Agent Coulson. I was just about to say that I was worried about that going into this movie. Because, you know, I actually did enjoy that remake of Tron that came out a little while ago. But the CGI, you know, de-aging that they did, oh, that was not good. No. It was just like Uncanny no. Valley the entire time. I don't know how they managed to get it done so well in this one. I suspect, because the thing about the Jeff Bridges CGI and Tron um, Tron Legacy, is that what it's called? Yeah. That's what we call it, right? Yeah. yeah. Is they CGI'd his eyes as well, and the eyes is where the uncanny valley lives. I think they left Agent Coulson and Samuel Jackson, I think they really left their eyes alone, and I think that helps a 
ton. I think with Jeff Bridges, though, sometimes when you saw his de-aged character yelling, the mouth was particularly bad. <laughs> they did yeah. not like that at all. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they did it really well. And apparently this is the first time, you know, because they've de-aged, like they de-aged Robert Downey Jr. And they've de-aged um, Captain Picard, though that's not the MCU that's actually over in uh, X-Men. But this is the first time that they've ever done it for an entire movie, not just for a flashback. And that's, it was really very impressive. It, it is. And, you know, I remember watching the um, the director's commentary for the first Avengers movie, and Joss Whedon pointed out a various scene. Okay, you know, the scene where Tony Stark and Bruce Banner are in the lab, and at one point, Tony Stark pokes Bruce Banner with a little, you know, like, electrical thing, because he's the Hulk. So, of course, you know, he's going to poke mm-hmm. him, whatever. Earlier on in that scene, Joss Whedon and pointed out, okay, see, over there, Captain America was standing over there, but then they decided to redo the scene because it was better for him to come in afterwards, so they CGI'd him out of the scene, and he said, that terrifies me. And sometimes what they can do with CGI is kind of terrifying. I mean, you just wonder, how much closer are we getting to entirely CGIing an actor and then maybe, like, mucking with some audio and completely creating their parts just from recordings. I mean, uh, we've got to be, we're pretty close, aren't we? Yeah, I think we are. Um, I was, my thought was, I was wondering, like, imagine being Samuel Jackson and looking at this movie as it's finished. I mean, you talk about being self-conscious about your appearance and how we all change our appearance when we get older and everything. And imagine looking at this movie and being like, Oh man, that's how I used to look. You know, I don't, I don't look like that in real life anymore. That's got to be really weird. I, it does. I mean, I've always, I think there was an episode of Angel like years and years ago, and one of the storylines was this actress that was, well, she wasn't old, but she wasn't the young teenage, you know, star that she used to be, and she got the notification from her agent that they had bought like this TV show they was in for syndication. So she was going to be getting all the money from all the royalties from that. And she was disappointed because she was like, great, the younger version of me is always going to be there all the time, everywhere that I have to be compared with. And I'm never going to be able to hold up against myself. So that was why she wanted so. she wanted to be a vampire because she just could not stand this idea that a younger version of herself was going to be upstaging her career from then on. And you got to wonder if people think that about this whole CGI de-aging thing. Well, yeah, I had just realized the other day I was in, gosh, what was I in? I think I was in photo grid because I was putting together like a little mini collage of photos and everything. And they have like some limited editing stuff in there. And I was looking through the editing and one is like thinner and it's actually a button that you hit that compresses your face a little bit so that it'll make you thinner and everything. And I'm like... I mean, it's bad enough that we go in with Photoshop and get blemishes and everything, but on your phone, you could make yourself lose pounds. And I'm like, man, there's, there's no version of ourselves online that's actually realistic anymore. Now, not in the movies either. Nope, so, nope, man. Nope. Hey, uh, speak on a related note. Uh-huh. So, Agent Coulson looked very good as well. But here's the thing. I feel like I should have seen this coming. How surprised were you when... Nick Fury realized that that wasn't Coulson in the car with him. I was shocked. As soon as the yeah. call came in, I for a second, my brain was like, it's a scroll pretending to call him from a phone. I'm like, no, it's good to change it. Coulson's an imposter in the car. <laughs> that was so, I really think I want to watch it again because I'll bet you you can see the moment because he was acting a little like 
blank when he was getting in the car and everything. And I'll bet you you can see a moment when Coulson leaves the screen and then you see him in the shot again and you're like, oh, wait, that's not really him. So, yeah. There are a couple of things in storytelling that is so hard to do cleverly that I love when people can pull it off. And one of those things is the timey-wimey time travel kind of thing. And the other is shapeshifters. When you can get someone to do shapeshifting to the point where you know it's part of the story and you can still surprise the audience. Love that. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that, yeah, maybe it was a little clunky when he was, not clunky, I mean, he was saying his name was Fury. What does your mom call you? Fury, you know? What do, what do your kids call you? If I have any, they'll call me Fury. And then, of course, his boss calls him Nicholas in the elevator. I'm like, ah, that was a setup. But I appreciate people doing the legwork ahead of time for something like that to work. Yes, and making it a good scene anyway. I mean, the, yes. they also... The whole bit with uh, Carol Danvers being known as Veers, I also thought that was very clever. And they were setting that up there, too, in that scene where she was like, wow, really, you've got three names and hers is just Mm -hmm. Veers. And then when you saw the uh, the broken off um, dog tag for her and the fact that it was just the very last bit of her last name. Oh, I love that. I did, too. Another thing that I feel like I should have seen coming. But, hell, I was surprised by the whole V'ger thing thing in Star Trek, so I don't usually <laughs> see that kind of stuff coming. Well, but. I try not to see things coming in movies. I mean, I know a lot mm. of people just really want to like, oh yeah, I saw this coming a long way away. I kind of like being surprised, so I mm-hmm. will I do yeah. help the writer if I absolutely have to. You know, suspension of disbelief is actually pretty easy for me, because I work at it. You know, I've got a lot of practice. Yeah, exactly. That's when people are just like, what? You didn't see that coming? I'm like, no, I didn't, and I bet I enjoyed the movie more than you did, so yeah. <laughs> Oh, boy, talking about enjoying the movie. Uh, The theater was almost packed when we got there. There were only a few seats left over. I just, I mean, there are so many times that I don't like the movie-going experience anymore because people talk. This was a good audience. And for some of those scenes, like Maria uh, in the uh, the aerial dogfight in the canyon, and when she manages to blast the other alien ship out of the sky, there was cheers in the theater. So awesome. And uh, in my theater, people were just laughing every... It was pretty much Samuel Jackson's reaction to the flurkin doing the tentacles all over the place and the whole theater just <laughs> losing it, especially when he's like holding Goose up, and he's like, go, get him, get him, get him, and he's like, oh, pick a side! But <laughs> Yeah, um, now, about the end credits scene, of course, the first one, yeah, you really needed that. I mean, the, having Carol just show up there, where's Fury? I yeah. love that. I can't wait to see that scene where everybody has to be like, and who are you again? Mm-hmm. Okay, but the final one was just the cat, the flurkin, Goose, Horking up a hairball and ends up being a tesseract on Nick Fury's desk. Yes. Was that really necessary? No, it was not necessary. I don't, you know, (laughs) it's like, it's not as bad as watching a person puke, of course, but I was still just kind of like, oh, come on, you guys, really? I mean, as cat owners, we hate that sound. (laughs) We're like, oh, God. (laughs) And especially dragging it out. And yes, I appreciate the IMDb trivia section pointing out that the computers in Nick Fury's office 
when that was happening, when you know he was forking up the hairball that ended up being the Tesseract, they were black-colored, which basically means mm-hmm. they've moved on from the beige-colored or the white-colored or whatever, so it shows a progression in time. However, we sat through the entire credits to see that. I want to see if I can find a website where people rate the credits for the movie and don't give it away, but basically tell you, this you need to see in order order to know what's going on in the next movie. This, you don't have to sit through the entire time. Seriously, I was sitting there like, I kind of have to pee, but I really want to see all the credits. And I sat there and sat there and sat there and saw that. I'm like, really? (laughs) Seriously, you guys, come on. You can do better than that. Yes, and Nathan used to work part-time at a movie theater. And he said movie theater uh, employees hate the Marvel end credit scenes because They're not allowed to clean up the theater until everybody has left the theater. And at the same time, they only have a limited time in between when one movie ends and another movie starts. So they're just kind of sitting there going, get out, get out, get out, get out. And it makes it much harder with these Marvel movies. Yeah, and it would be totally worth it if they would give us a decent credit scene. But they didn't. No, they really didn't. Yeah, speaking of all the dogfight battles in the sky, that was another great bit of CGI. All of the battles and all the fights and her being like, all right, I'm going to pull some G's. <laughs> Just really, really impressive stuff. I loved all that. Again, the fact that all of the characters were so confident about what they were doing. I just, mm. I loved that Maria was able to just do that kind of a dogfight, you know, just right then and not even be like, oh my God, I can't do this. She's like, nope, I'm going to do this. So, and, so and the neat. friendship between her and Carol was so wonderful. Yes. And the friendship with her daughter was so wonderful. Apparently, oh, Lieutenant Trouble. Lieutenant oh. Trouble. Apparently she's, I think someone has said that she's actually going to be a character in mm. one of the next movies, Photon who is canon with the Marvel comics, like an actual fan of Captain uh, Marvel. Yeah, I think she may even, in some of the stories, she even takes on the mantle of Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel has had like a really complicated storyline. I mean, she has changed a bunch. She's Though her alcoholism had been set up fairly early on. That's what she and Tony bonded over for a while there. They both, um, it was in one of the Civil War books, I think, where she and Tony were each going to AA meetings, you know, that and that was established with the character. I don't know if it's established with this character currently, but um, yeah, she's had a lot of changes in her history. And the only thing I really know about her is that uh, in the the Civil War storyline, Civil War Two, excuse me, that uh, that whole thing uh, with someone who could read, tell the future, and Tony yes. was like, "We've got to act on this now." And Carol is like, "We're really going to be imprisoned," or or I can't remember. Wait a minute, it was actually the believe it or not, it was the other way around. That's that right. Yes, she was. You would think that Tony would find this new technology, this new thing, and be able to stop all the things and whatever. But he was asking all the questions, like you know, okay, so we're going going to arrest somebody before they actually do something, but we're taking this kid's word that it was going to actually happen. And she's pointing out how great it is and how many lives it saves, but even she wonders exactly how far back do you go to predict something that somebody could possibly do. Which was interesting that in the films it was the opposite sort of thing, that Tony was all for the, yes, we've got to put ourselves under some kind of government control, so we're not all rushing around willy-nilly, knocking 
knocking cities to the ground. So, and that was mm-hmm. a complete reversal of the comic book. And yet somehow it was still understandable. Well, I mean, you got to remember that the Civil War that you're talking about with Carol and the Mind Reader was Civil War II, because in the original Civil War, it was the same storyline as the movies. And yes, Tony was just kind of like, yeah, we need to be on a list. And Captain America was like, uh, freedom, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, before I forget, when we were talking about how Carol's gone through all these changes and all this. So you read in the trivia, I'm sure, about how Kelly Sue DeConnick actually got like a cameo in the movie. She's the person who's responsible for spearheading Carol as she is now, not the bathing suit and stilettos, you know, thigh-high boots Carol, but the Carol in the flight suit and the superpower and all that kind of stuff. The Carol that we're seeing in the movies and the comics right now was mostly Kelly Sue DeConnick's creation. And when Carol was leaving the train station at one point, apparently, and I didn't see it, I got to go back and take a look at it. She actually makes eye contact with a red haired woman and they both just kind of give each other a nod and go on. That was Kelly Sue DeConnick. Oh, that's so cool because she looked great. I mean, I loved the design of her suit. The very first time that she manages to completely unleash all of her power. And you see that shot of her with the, whatever the glowiness of her power, just kind of like, like completely encompassing her. Oh, that was so another brilliant. beautiful image in an entire movie of beautiful images. Yeah, you're right. It was a pretty, pretty movie. And uh, Carol's attitude for the whole thing, especially that bit where she's like trying to read a map and that douchebag drives up in a motorcycle and tries <laughs> to get her to smile and she like drops down the corner of the map puts it back up again. He mutters, freak. She drops it down, looks at the motorcycle. Hmm. Mm, next, yeah. next time you see, she's just stolen the motorcycle. <laughs> Love so that. awesome. And that, I, I can't remember, that might have been the garbage song that was playing during that one. I do love me some garbage music. I that do was too. Great. Oh yeah, I loved all the musical choices in this one. Well, we could probably talk longer, but we're going to try and keep this one short this week because in as of recording, two days time, Catherine is going to be here in San Diego for a WonderCon. Yay! Yes. Now we have to decide, are we going to try to see How to Train Your Dragon 3 on um, the Thursday before we go to WonderCon? I was thinking probably we could always do it, you know, the Sunday night we come back or the Monday night that you guys are in town. we got some time, but I was thinking Thursday might be good, but we're going to play it by ear, you know, we're just going like you guys are getting in Wednesday, we're gonna chill out on Thursday, then take the train up to Anaheim on uh, Friday, so it should be fun. Say so it was this uh, last week. I was able to meet up with our old friend Val and her son and daughter when they were traveling up to Pennsylvania, and they are all fans of the How to Train Your Dragon trilogy, and they all oh. seem to agree the second movie is really good. The second movie is also the weakest of the three, so they thought oh, the wow. third movie was even better than the second one so yeah looking forward to that that's gonna be awesome so that will wrap us up for the week so make sure to check out pixladygeek.com for all the book reviews the comic book reviews the movie reviews the photo galleries it's WonderCon, so we are going to have some photo galleries of all the awesome cosplay. Uh, I have no idea what panels I'm going to try and see while I'm there. We've kind of had the whole cosplay project first and foremost in our minds. We will have pictures of that, and so we will stop being so damn vague about it. And we will probably try to record something, you know, on the weekend next week when, you know, Elizabeth, me, and Nathan are all in the same time zone for a change. <laughs> Makes it a lot easier for editing purposes. I'm just like, just one track. Woohoo! Yay! But yes, all that and more. Pixel 
lastladygeek.com. So I hope uh, if you're going to Anaheim, you know, and you, well, I was going to tell you what our cosplay is, but I won't. But, uh, you know, if you see a pair of twins in a costume, um, give us a shout and so we can take pictures. So but, uh, <laughs> Is that vague enough for you? Yeah, this episode of Vague Cast has been brought to you by cosplay. But um, one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to you all later. Well, I lost you, so I will connect back up with you. Hopefully, you know not to turn off the recording. Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Yeah, there, you're back. You're back. You're back. That's interesting. You didn't freeze the entire time, but apparently I did. Yes, you were completely frozen, and when you came back, I got the weird radar-y, watery beep thing going on. Okay, so... really weird. Who the heck knows? (laughs) All right, anyway, um, hopefully you were able to finish your thought. I did, yes, about the whole idea about...